Hey, welcome back. Patrick here. Glad you decided to come back and listen to the show again. Here we are on our ninth episode. This is pretty awesome. So, hey, thanks again for listening, for following along, for sharing this podcast on with your friends and with your family. And uh, yeah, I really do appreciate it. A couple things up top. Uh, we will uh, be doing a pop culture episode soon. I also want to remind you all as the listeners that occasionally we're going to have homily episodes. And when we have those, it won't be an intro. There won't be any banter from Ben or I, and it'll just open up into the homily. And so sometimes we will have those. And so when we have those, when we drop those in the mix, just know they're usually our shorter episodes. They'll be, you know, less than 15 minutes. And so you will clearly know when you're downloading the podcast that this it will be a homily episode. And you'll see it in the show notes, too. But I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Also, if you haven't already, go to iTunes, rate the podcast five stars, please, and leave a comment telling folks why they should check out our show. It would be amazing for you to do that. I would love it. We have so many folks who've already rated the podcast and left some comments, but we need more of you to do it because the more of you to do it, the higher we move up in the rankings and we'll get noticed and we'll get featured on different platforms. So please, please, please help us do that. Also, if you have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, share that you're listening. Encourage your friends to listen. We're trying to grow this thing and we're going to tell you about some other exciting things in the near future about how you can be more involved with the Patrick podcast. Okay, so today we have my good friend, Robbie Valderrama. He is doing a great quote episode. Robbie has his own podcast, Praise Hands. You should check it out. I'm actually going to be on his podcast soon in the fall. But check that out anyway. It's got some wonderful content. But Robbie shares some of his favorite quotes. We talk about his favorite musical influences. We have a really fun time. I think you're going to love it. Again, we will try to put some of the quotes in the show notes or all of them. I don't know yet. We'll see. Uh, but check that out. Follow along on Instagram if you haven't already at the Patrick Podcast. And yeah, that's about it. Let's check in with Ben. Ben, what's happening over there? Hey, not much. Um, I, I had a fact about cheese. Oh, boy. Um. I'm going to save that for the next episode. So oh, oh, oh. Listeners, so, <laughs> be, be excited and ready. Ready for cheese facts. Yeah. Um, so instead, when I realized that this was going to be episode number nine, I thought I'd bring up this interesting conspiracy theory that I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, but in case there are some people who don't know about it, I love because it is an old, it isn't an old <laughs> uh, conspiracy theory, so there's probably lots of people who haven't heard it. Okay. Um, so the whole theory about Paul McCartney being dead and oh, being yeah. replaced. Oh yeah, that that is truth. Right. So that that all stems <laughs> that all stems in um, this theory about the song Revolution Number no. Nine, 
which starts with um, a creepy British voice saying, number nine, number nine. And it's like this really weird, I don't think I'm saying the right way, but it, he says it in a very unique way. Okay. It's like very particular. Right. And if you reverse it, surprise, everyone's playing everything backwards trying to find meaning, right? If you play it backwards, it kind of sounds like turn me on dead man. Ah. Which started this theory, I guess. That and Paul is dead. That's all people needed to think that Paul is dead. Um, so, yeah, number nine. <laughs> Episode number nine. <laughs> there we go. Enjoy the show. Robbie. Patrick. What's up? Nothing much, man. <clears throat> We're here. here. This is great. We are here. Yeah. We've talked show. about this for a little while. We have. We have. So uh, let's let's do this. Before we, this is a quote episode, which is awesome. Yeah. And I'm excited. I have no idea what you're going to, what quotes you're bringing to the table. But as some of our listeners who've been listening for a while know, um, I am a big believer that everyone has quotes wise words from like mm -hmm. an aunt a father a mm -hmm. mother a teacher a boss mm -hmm. something someone has said to them and that has stuck with them right that's become this way of centering them back yeah um for some it's a song lyric mm -hmm. like from their favorite artist mm -hmm. you know as weird al yankovic once said uh no i don't know maybe <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's, we all have these things that are kind of r living within us that help us make sense of life when things right. get too chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to hear yours today. I'm excited to share. But before we get to that, um, I want people to know you're Robbie. Yep. You're a husband, a mm -hmm. father. Yep. A musician. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that word right? You kind of like said mu musician and magician at the same time, <laughs> which is kind of like a pretty big compliment. Um, <laughs> there is magic in the notes. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. And you're a podcaster. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of, I just kind of like gave the bullet points, but briefly so we can get to the quotes, unpack right. mm -hmm. some of that. Yeah. So uh, I am a father and a husband. I've got two beautiful little girls running around, you know, just charming me like crazy. And I've got a beautiful wife and we get to do music together, ministry together, and uh, just get to serve the Lord together. So it's great. And um, my background, I'm from San Jose, California, originally. Let's go. I'm from a biracial family. So as I like to say, uh, you know, I my dad's Filipino, my mom's white, so I grew up with lumpia and I grew up with leprechauns. And I grew up with karaoke and I grew up with Carrie Underwood. So I got a little bit of everything. That's and, amazing. Uh, you know, that's kind of, that background has shaped the lens of how I see the world yeah. and, uh, you know, identifying as a Christian from a very early age and have had different experiences with God that have made that my own. Right. And uh, moving out to Nashville in 2015, the Lord spoke super specifically to both my wife and I. We had already been married for five years at the time and said, you guys are moving. Uh, so we moved and my life and kind of this, uh, the call that God's given me had taken primarily three forms and that was in music, in local church ministry and in finance. 
And so pretty broad, but all of those three areas, I kind of did the math and I was like, I think I've probably done my 10,000 hours in each of those three areas. <laughs> and, and so that's, uh, that's kind of the, the, those are the lanes that I, that I run in and coming out to Nashville, that gave me the opportunity to kind of, uh, take a little bit of a breather, scale back on a few things and get to, um, really think a little more critically about, you know, man, as, as a church, how are we doing things? Why are we doing things the right. way that doing, uh, what we're doing them and, and moving from California to Nashville, you know, I came from one of the least church areas to one of the most church, but it was also from one of the least racially segregated to one of the most racially segregated. <laughs> I'm like, wait, how come there's that correlation there? Shouldn't, shouldn't that not be? And so that got me doing a lot of, of research, a lot of studying about, uh, you know, what does Christianity really say about these things? Right. You know, what, uh, what, how have we gotten where we are? And, and as I've wrestled through those, um, you know, I, I've, I've really come to believe that the American church has, has filtered the gospel through the lens of American consumerism. Oh, absolutely. And so to really talk about these issues. Yeah, say it again for people in the back in case yeah, they didn't hear for, that. In the, in the back, y'all. <laughs> the, the, the church in America has filtered the gospel through the lens of American consumerism. So yeah. that, that's part materialism, part individualism. Yep. And, um, and really it's, it's uh, something that we have, I don't think consciously done. It's, it's just been, uh, we've assumed that uh, it, it's kind of, there's these different narratives that we can live life by, right. right? And I believe that the battle really to control what we believe is to fight for the highest narrative. And so if our first narrative is that everything is all about me being happy and successful, then the gospel is secondary to that. Yeah. And everything that the gospel teaches is filtered through that lens. Mm-hmm. And we're not actually going to fully understand because it's outside of our ability to, to ascertain as it's, it doesn't fit within that paradigm of the yeah. American dream, so to speak. Yeah. That's good. So, okay. Now tell us about your podcast. Your yeah, podcast so, so is all, all those connected to that is your podcast. It's called comment. the Praise Hands Podcast. I have a nonprofit called Praise Hands. You can learn about it at praisehands.com. And the nonprofit is all about creative cross-cultural Christianity, which I really see as the antidote to this kind of self-serving, segregated manifestation of Christianity that's developed. And so we've got a podcast, we have a collective um, called the Praise Hands Collective. That's a uh, bilingual, multicultural, multi-church expression of worship that's based in Nashville. And we lead, uh, you know, in in Spanish and English and uh, do multicultural arrangements of songs. And um, it's a lot of fun. So that's kind of, uh, you know, and I still have my church ministry things and my finance things that I'm also involved with. Um, So it's a lot, but it's a lot of fun. Which is wild because it's rare you find someone who is in this creative space of music, creating songs and mm-hmm. <clears throat> just doing the creative thing or even doing the ministry thing and also have a passion and love for finance and money and numbers like right. that. Right, right. Because usually like traditionally speaking, yeah, the artist, the creator, right. it's like yeah. money. Yeah, right. It'll work itself out. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's, but it's, so it's kind of neat to see more and more people find themselves a blend of this left and right brain kind of, kind of living. So that's pretty awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, So congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's, it's it's this unique blend. And part of what we talk about on the podcast is even like how music and economics are even connected within like the church and race conversation, which is like something that like, I don't know of anybody else that's really talking about that. And I didn't. I didn't actually like intend to get like become like a finance person. That was not like in my like 
you know, when you're in fourth grade, like, I want to be a finance person. Yeah, that's never really, yeah, yeah that kid's that kid's the weirdo. <laughs> yeah, that kid's the weirdo that, like... Sorry if you, your kid is that. Their mom, know? like, keeps trying to invite them to things to make friends, like, but I, the only reason I got a finance degree because I figured it'd be good to know about money, and, and I figured it'd look good to a future father-in-law. Yeah, so that's yeah, the only that's reason right. I did it, that's and right. then God just kind of, like, you know, just, just kind of tricked me into it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Cool. Okay, let's get to some quotes. Let's. First quote, what you got? So I'll start with one that has been very formative from me. I think, you know, uh, growing, growing up in a Christian household, you kind of have like these uh, different like Christian quotes and scriptures that are all around the house. Oh. And, um, that are all like burlap sacks. Yeah. And you know, and uh, like have like, old pieces of wood. Yeah. And, and have like flowers and cows <laughs> and like Norman Rockwell type, like little girls <laughs> yes. in pink dresses that are yes. like, you know, and, and things like that. And, in one of those ornate displays, I'm sure, was this quote that uh, I'm I'm on the on the enneagram, which was bound to come up at some point in this conversation. Wow. I'm, I'm a three, and I think that this quote, um, you know, is very three, and I I think that might be the reason why I've resonated with it so much. And and here's the quote. Okay, it's attributed to Hans Urs von Balthasar, and the quote is: "What you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God." Okay, let's say that one more time. What you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God. Okay, why do you love it? Well, I think the reason why I love that quote is um, I th- I think uh, I don't know the reason why I love it. I I don't I don't know the reason why I love it. I think the reason why I love it is because um. Well, you think it's true. I, th- I think it's true. Yeah, I, I resonate with it. You resonate with it because it's, there's truth in it. But you said that there, it's it has some type of three, yeah, leaning to it. So explain yourself because yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I think when being wired that way in in a way that achievement and performance naturally reinforces your identity, being able to. Um, have kind of that that framework for feeling you know what like like there's something that I can do to express my gratitude to God for for who he's made me to be right and um you know obviously that could lead more towards like kind of a performance mentality and that's that's something that I've I've had to to keep in check and and really choose caring more about what God says about me than what man says about me right and things like that but I think the reason why um this has resonated with me is uh, I actually I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out yeah and, no, that's, and, that's okay but I think if I if I had to kind of take a stab at it um, I think it's it's uh, if you look at um, if you look at kind of being born in in California like it's kind of like correlated to that Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. It's kind of, kind of the same sort of deal where growing up with a lot of privilege and and a lot of um, really blessings, like it's like, man, I I feel like I have to steward this and I feel like I can, I can just say, okay, this is great and have this comfortable life. Um, But because I feel like I've been blessed with so much, it's kind of the whole Abraham thing. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, that is something that continually every day motivates me where I want to steward what God's given me sure. for his glory to be able to be a blessing to others. Sure. And and that's really something that 
I try to do every day is, is to have that lens of, of not just looking for how can I use what's in my life, whether it's um, just whatever, whatever I have, not just how can I make my life better, but really, can I, how can I lift other people? How can I make the world a better place? Sure. Which is, sounds like a very millennial thing to say. Um, well, but, of course it is, but we'll, but, we'll but allow a millennial, it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. A lot, yeah. Lean into it. Right. So <laughs> I, I think the reason why this this quote uh, resonates with me is because it it really has given me a sense of purpose to be able to uh, just to live out and express gratitude. And, and really, like, I, I, I'm a worshiper at heart, you know, and using the broadest definition of that where not just from a musical perspective, but, you know, I believe that worship is, you know, your response to the, the goodness and the value of, of who God has expressed himself to be in your life. And so that's something that I try to do is every moment, every day, live that out as an act of worship, as an act of response, yeah. as an act of gratitude um, for, for what God's done in me. That's cool. Okay. I like it. Thanks, man. I have, have nothing to add to that. <laughs> it's a, it's a good quote. Good, good, good. I'll allow it. Okay. It's your quote anyway. Okay, one one for one. <laughs> one for one. Okay, number two. Let's hear another one. Number two. All right, we'll go We'll go d- deep with this one. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name, um, but I'm going to take a stab at his first name and totally just butcher his last name. <laughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And apparently it's from a book or writing called The Gulag Archipelago. Oh, um, which I don't honestly don't know anything about, but I just like the quote. So I, I could be quoting this great quote and it's from this like horrible book that people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's like recommending that publicly. So if I am, I apologize. Just, oh, they'll, whatever. they'll be fine. Okay. They're going to be okay. They'll be okay. 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 I'm all right then. <laughs> so here's the quote. It said, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing, committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? That's a good quote. I don't, I don't know if I can even add to that. It's just, it's just boom, you know? So These mics are on stands, but if they could drop, they would, they would be falling right now. It's obvious you're a dad. That's good. There you go. That was my joke for the day. Yeah, that was your joke. That was my one free dad joke pass. I just used it. Now so, I got to be real careful the rest of the episode. Exactly. So that's a, that's a, and here's the thing about that quote is that there have been many folks who have said similar things about mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. about this good versus evil mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But that one kind of really just latched on to you. Mm-hmm. And is there something about the way that it's said or like, what's the, what's the piece of that particular quote that really just like, yeah, that right. I, I, I get that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get a little bit nerdy in, in uh, it's either sociology or psychology or something. There's this term called fundamental attribution error. And the error, it's it's basically a bias that we have as humans. And our bias is to assume the best about people that are most like us, including ourselves, and assume the worst about people the less they are like us. And it's a really big problem. And obviously the echo chamber polarized society that we live in has really shown that. Right. 
And one of the common assumptions that people have is just that, oh my gosh, those people on the other side, oh my gosh, like, please, they are the reason we are here in this mess today. And how could you ever think that way? Right. Right? You look at them, how could they? I know. How do they get there? Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, I think it's, it's kind of a cop out in certain ways because it's easier to believe that than it is to understand the complexities of the issues. Right. But the, the simpler you think the situation is probably the more wrong you're getting it with a lot of issues. And when you look politically, when you look uh, a lot of different issues, uh, we kind of hang our hats in a certain segment of society. And, and the, the problem is it becomes very easy to dehumanize people that aren't like us. And when we can dehumanize things, uh, people, then we can treat them like things, you know? And, and so what I appreciate about this quote is it doesn't give us the option to really say it's like us and them, like, oh man, those bad people over there, because we have to acknowledge that that same disease of sin, we were born with it as well. And we all are in just as much need of a savior. And uh, I think it, it, it cuts against kind of the self-righteousness that is easy for us to, to get uh, infected with when we're kind of feeling, you know, on our high horse about something. And I think it can keep us humble and, and constantly remind us uh, of our need for forgiveness, our need for grace and our need for ultimately what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all, we all have this light and shadow side. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you're correct in saying that like we fit this in this quote kind of points to that. It's that we forget that. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't want to toss out half of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's unfortunate that I've done some of those things that have been outside of love and peace mm-hmm. and compassion mm-hmm. and mercy. Yeah. But like, that is me. Like mm-hmm. that is that all of that makes me. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you're right. Like we want to hang our hat on either side of right. a, well, this topic or this way or. It goes back to the garden. That's, that's right. what Adam did when he sinned. Okay. okay. He blamed instantly he's he's like i didn't want that to fall on me i want someone else to absorb that for me and ultimately what christ did on the cross is he absorbed that all for us all the blame in the world all the judgment in the world he absorbed that on himself and so if we are it's kind of like the on the cross are are pointing fingers found the perfect mark because you know, he, he was able to live a sinless life and and able to take that judgment all the judgment in the world upon himself and, and bear that weight on the cross and um, to kind of like, you know, take even this concept a, a step further, like, yes, we all have that, that sin inside us, but what I believe is through the cross, you know, he, that enabled the gift of, of the indwelling of the Holy spirit. So that way we don't have to be stuck in that, you know, we don't have to be stuck with that. We sure we have like the light side and the dark side, but you know, we are, we have become a new creation and through his spirit in us, we, like that flesh, yeah, it's still there, but we now have a choice to be able to choose walking by his spirit and and that's that ultimately leads to to life and not to death. So that's that's what encourages me about the cross and and even though this this quote I think resonates with me so much, I think it points me to the grace of God and points me to the empowerment of his spirit that 
enables us to even transcend that um, and to, to walk in in the fullness of what God's called us to. Cool. I dig it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's hear another one. No more trace. Yeah. So what else you got? All right. So we will go with this one. Okay. And this touches on uh, on some of the topics that you know I talk about in the podcast, and it's by a guy named George Weber, who I'm 99 percent sure this is the same guy that I'm thinking of. He and if it's not, then this is just some other random guy. Um, but I'm pretty sure George Weber is, was one of the first multiracial church planners in the United States. And um, historically, there was racial integration in in churches. Uh, and then in the, I think, late 1700s, uh, two guys in Philadelphia were African-American males were pulled off of their off of their knees praying and said, hey, you can't be doing that because you're black. And we're not willing to have you. And that was the founding of the first African-American denominations in the United States. So, but after that point, some people said, hey, that's not right. You know, we need to be one church. And one of those guys, I I believe this is the guy, George Weber, had a church plant in a church in New York City. And one of the concepts that he said was uh, that everybody should be about 75% comfortable in church. And if we're too comfortable, then that leads to, to things. But Uh, all that to tee up this quote. And this quote says, when churches are divided along racial lines, the power of the gospel to overcome our human differences is denied. But when a congregation, and I'm I'm paraphrasing and putting some things in brackets just for for clarity. uh, But when a congregation does by its life together, truly overcome this disunity, it is an incredible witness to the miracle of the gospel. I would read that one again. Yeah, read it again. Okay. When churches are divided along racial lines, the power of the gospel to overcome our human differences is denied. But when a congregation does, by its life together, truly overcome this disunity, it is an incredible witness to the miracle of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that for you. Yeah, so... I may have some thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll share a story that happened in the, in the last few years here. And there's a pastor down in the San Diego area named Miles McPherson. And he has a church that's very multi-ethnic, multiracial. Um, I don't know how many different, you know, ethnicities, nationalities are represented. Uh, but there was an incident between uh, a person of color and law enforcement that happened. And, there was all sorts of different viewpoints, even with his own, own, own church, like the media saying this, the mayor saying this, it's just like blowing up. Mm-hmm. And like the city was like, Hey, we're kind of actually coming to you. Cause you guys like, you guys do this all the time. You're like together, like as a church, multiracial, like kind of what do we do in a way? And so they kind of called like this, this staff meeting and said, all right, I think they got like 30 something people and they're people from all different, you know, walks of life, people from all different cultural backgrounds. And he said, guys, like the city's kind of coming to us to, to ask, how do we move forward as a city when there's like, people are, are really, really upset about this. And they were able to not put aside, you know, their backgrounds, but they were able to come and say, you know, here is, here's where we're at. You know, we can agree to disagree on certain things, but we can still stand in unity um, just despite those and that they were actually able to lead their city 
through that. And there was, there were some people that were heckling that this pastor. And one of those guys, he shares a story about that guy came to him afterwards and said, man, I did, he actually apologized to him for heckling him. He said, I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, what outstanding leadership you're already providing on this issue and how you guys are actually leading the way on this and, and doing things that like law enforcement isn't capable of doing. The media is not capable of doing, but through the church by being racially integrated, they were able to actually lead the rest of society and, and heal some of the division that we see today. So I, I say that as an example. And the flip side, if a, a church is racially segregated and there aren't meaningful relationships that, that people nurture, when a, a situation comes up and you don't have a friend that like looks like that person or you can't think, oh man, how would my friend such and such insert that name feel about this and and you can't text your friend and say hey man did you hear about what happened like what's going on you know like you know how how do you feel about this and and that doesn't that doesn't just apply in a sense of a a white person texting a black person but it could be also the reverse like hey you know how is this hitting you you know how how, tell me talk to me this through through your lens and i believe that as a church you know we're not merely called to follow cultural trends or to follow the narratives that have been set by other people um but we really have a transcendent narrative of unity of reconciliation. That's the ministry that we're given as a church and in the current, and I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper on this and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you in, in the biblical model of church. There's one church per city. There's the church at Ephesus. There's the church at Antioch. There's all these things in the, the Galatians. It was to the churches at, at Galatia because Galatia was a region. So the, the biblical model of church unity or even church division, if you want to look at our church, you know, groupings is not um, denominational. It's actually location-based. And as we currently do church, it's more denominationally, um, you know, and obviously there are reasons why that has become the way that it is. But my, my point that I'm coming back around to is as a city church, because we are not unified at a city level, if there's not, multiracial or multicultural expressions within our congregations, that means it's not happening at all in our city. And, and so if, if there were citywide unity, right, we could have segregated churches in theory. And if they have relationship and they're walking in relationship with people, they can say, Hey, what do you think about this? But as of right now, we don't have those relationships, yeah. those citywide relationships. So when we have segregation inside our congregation, we have segregation period. And we don't, we don't have as the church, you know, we're not connected in the way that we need to be to really address society's deepest issues. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot with that quote. There's a lot with, with what you said. So part of me thinks, okay, the, the benefit that a church in a city like New York Mm -hmm. has over, let's say we're we're here currently recording in Nashville, mm-hmm. Tennessee. Um, the church, say a church is in Brentwood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the The neighborhoods of right. Brentwood mm-hmm. are not diverse. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Let's go North Nashville. Mm-hmm. The neighborhoods in North Nashville are not right diverse. Mm-hmm already as they are, right? right. There are sprinkles mm-hmm. of diversity mm-hmm. in both of these particular areas of town, right? Right. 
And so it's not, for me, it's not a crazy thing if I walk into a church in Brentwood that's mm -hmm. predominantly white. Sure. And mm -hmm. the church looks like a predominantly white right, it's church. Reflective of its it's reflective, it's reflective of the area that it's in. Right. And so I think sometimes I feel like we're getting, uh, what is it? The, the cart before the horse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like some of us, many of us need to change where we live. Sure. Instead of like, I go to this place. Mm -hmm. That's located in this area, mm -hmm. right? So you see that, right? You'll see the suburban affluent people mm -hmm. go to church in the city and say, well, look, I'm putting myself in the city. Mm -hmm. But what do you do at the end of every church service? You right. go back to your right. nice. We're not really big, incarnate in those areas. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so in cities like New York mm -hmm. and a lot of pockets in Atlanta. Mm-hmm potentially in like the urban sprawl of Chicago, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, yeah, diversity, those churches look diverse because yeah, people are living side by side, rich and poor and middle-class and mm -hmm. black and white and mm -hmm. Asian and Latina and everything else under, under the, under the sun. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like you have to work hard to be an only sure. fill in the blank church. It's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so, Part of me is like, yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's something we've got to work. And I love the idea of like, well, how do we just partner with each other better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of having the denominational walls that right. we see in our churches? Mm -hmm. um, and I think to your point too, like if you're not friend with anyone that's other than you, whatever, mm -hmm. the, whatever that looks like, right. mm -hmm. other being education, other being race, other sure. being mm -hmm. whatever, right? right then you can't have genuine curiosity about how are you reacting to whatever's happening, right, right. right? So if someone calls me and they're genuinely curious, hey, you're black, mm -hmm. how do you, how is whatever's happening, mm -hmm. how is it affecting you? Right. There's nothing, no one is rarely off put mm -hmm. by yeah. genuine curiosity. Right. Like just, I'm just, I'm honest. I'm just curious. Right. Cause we've all been asked questions as people of color. It's like, you're, you're fishing for, you're trying to start something. You're right. trying to get a yeah. debate happening, right. you know, versus like, I'm just curious yeah. about your opinion about it. Right. And I think that the, the delineation from, <laughs> from say your, your perspective as somebody that's coming in to ask you those questions, the delineation is, do they already have the narrative decided in their mind? Or are they willing to, oh, yeah. to wrestle with that? Oh, yeah. Because if the narrative's already decided, then you're probably going to feel used at that point. Yeah, But if, if they're open to reconsidering their narrative, that's to the point where you can actually have a meaningful, productive conversation yeah. that's honoring to everyone involved. Yeah, so, there, so then the goal then of all of us is to remain open, right? to remain curious, yeah, um, and to also be engaged in what's happening in culture and in society which if we're honest a lot of people of faith tend to put their heads in the sand right unless it's talking about a couple issues mm -hmm. right oh they're talking about abortion i've got some things to say about that right you know oh they're talking about whatever oh i got something to say about that yeah but you have not been engaging in what's been happening right in the in the culture yeah 
And so then when someone says to you, what do you think about this? Well, I haven't really thought about that. Why, why not? Right. And, and our ability is Get kind your of, head out the sand. It's, it's, it's stunted by the lack of relationships we have yeah. with people that are, are unlike us. Yeah. And I think having the multicultural, multiracial churches is one of the best ways. It's not an easy thing because we want to be around people that the easiest way to grow a church is to grow it with people that are very similar to each other. That's the way you're going to get your numbers up quickest, you know, but yeah. if you really want to see people grow and, and in an area that they're, they're pushed to, to, to get uncomfortable, like multicultural churches is a great way to do that. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> You're not lying. Patrick agrees. That means I it's agree. true. That is true. Okay, you got you got another one for me? Uh that was well, that was good. Ah, thank you. That thank was you. a good one. Ah, thank you, thank you. All right. I was fine with it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll you share. definitely have a lane of quotes that you're, you definitely have a lane of thought. Like there's no like, this is from <laughs> some random book that I found. It's like, uh, it's fine. I like it. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll give you, um, I'll give you something that God spoke to me at a church service once. Ooh. So it's a quote Which directly. Language? Which language was it in? It was in English. Ah. Uh. Yeah. That's boring. I know. So boring. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> moving to Nashville in 2015, um, the joke is that no matter what you identify with as, oh, I'm good at this or I do this, there's somebody better at being you than you are. <laughs> you know? So, you know, there's whatever you think you're good at, oh, they're doing that and they have, you know, 200 times more social media followers than you do. Yeah, you're you like, know? oh, Dang. Right. <laughs> and you get to a point where it's like, if you're doing this just for like getting noticed or notoriety, or maybe you grew up with people saying, oh, you're really good at this. Like you've got a gift, like keep doing that. When that isn't being asked of you or expected of you, you find out why you're really doing what you're doing. Ooh. And uh-oh. And that's kind of this identity crisis that a lot of people that move to Nashville go through. And I feel like something that God's doing in his church is really growing up and maturing his church because for so long when we don't get that acceptance from other people or from church leaders, we say, peace out. You know, like I, I have a gift and I know it. And we sometimes abandon the areas that the wilderness seasons, if you will, that God wants to actually grow us in to become the leaders that we were made to be. And coming out to Nashville, you know, it, it was like, you kind of think you have your lane, you have your thing. And then it's like, after a while, you're like, God, the only reason really for me to be doing this is because you've called me to do it. Cause right. in the natural, there's no other reason. Cause there's already people that are way better at this than me. And it can be discouraging and it's kind of this purging process where it's like, God, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? And for us, we knew that God called us here. So, um, you know, it was, it was easier for us to stay kind of in place, but something that God spoke to me super clearly was, I want you not just to try to join other circles, but I want you to make your own circles. And socially and relationally, if you take, for example, there's this group of friends, they're cool. They've known each other for a long time. They're successful. They're doing whatever. And you're like, man, if I could be in that group of friends, they're all successful. Yeah. 
and I mean, this applies in a lot of different contexts because just socially, we're this is what we do, you know, like, oh man, they're driving those cars or they're in that industry or they're connected with these people. If I can get connected with them, that'd be really great. The The problem with that is it's not, it, you can't grow a community or you can't grow a movement exponentially with that mentality. You, it, there's only a finite amount of relational capital that different groups can have sure. sociologically. So what that means is say there's a group of 12 friends and you say, man, I want to be in that group of friends. You work your way and you say, oh, I'm going to hang out with this person. I'm going to hang out with that person, do the Nashville thing. Like, you know, post a picture. I'm with this person on Instagram story. Look at me. <laughs> oh, but I'm going to get more followers because I posted a picture of me, this person. Right. And you play that game and you're, oh, you're part of this friend now, friend group now. Well, there's only so much that can go around. And probably what's going to happen is that relational capital at a certain level is zero sum. Meaning that if you are now in that group, Either someone else doesn't have a place in that or everybody else feels a little less connected. And I don't believe relationships in general are zero-sum, but sociologically, there's only so much room for, for people. It's kind of like you know, people have done studies on how many people is comfortable to be at a table for different types of conversations. Sure. And once you grow bigger, it's kind of like, back, remember MySpace back in the day when you had yeah, your top eight? Your top eight. And it's kind of like, <coughs> you know, the, if, if they, you know, the more people you have in your top eight, the more offended the people who aren't in your top eight that were almost there are going to be. Right. And so there's really only so much space in, in that sort of pocket. However, if you're not focused on just joining other people's circles and trying to get something from other people, but you're focused on giving and on creating space for other people, there's not a limit on that. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that, Unless you're trying to be the one black friend everybody has. Oh man, that's that's a tough gig, man. That's a tough gig. You gotta like get your like you know, calendar scheduling app, get your business cards with that on it. Like you don't got time to be scheduling yeah. all these appointments by yourself. You gotta use technology to leverage your time. We need our black friend here. Hey, everybody yeah, I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there so I get invited back. I get invited back. <laughs> um but so that that's something that the Lord spoke to me and and has been really huge. Oh, that's good. To be able to feel released and not pressured to try to fit in or try to conform because I believe the nature of who Christ is is more about giving than taking. You know, yeah. he, the son of man came to serve and not to be served and he created his own circle, you know, with the 12 disciples. He didn't say, "Oh my gosh, look at these people of power and prestige. Let me figure out how I can get in on that. Let yeah. me figure out how I can, you know, ride that wave, you know, you know, play the, play the, 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 the crowd and play the, you know, how everybody's looking at me. And then now, okay, I'm, I'm at a certain point. Now I have a platform. Now I can say such and such. You know, he went low. He said, I'm going to serve people. I'm going to make space for other people and allow them to become the people they were made to be. And that's, that's what I see as servant leadership. That's what I see as the model that we're called to have. And I think if the church could adopt that and every, every one of us could have that mentality of, of really being open-handed and, and, going where the favor is relationally and not trying to force it. Um, that's a much less self-centered way to live. And if you're, if you're somebody that's on the outside, how, how awesome is it when you see someone that you think is more connected to the rest of the group than you inviting you in? Right. That's the heart of the gospel is being invited in. Well, and, and, and there's, but there's also the challenge for people I think is, and I've seen this happen many times mm-hmm. is that you find yourself on the outside. You mm-hmm. find yourself the new person, right? in the community, in the city. Right. Then you're in here for a little bit. It's 2015. Now mm-hmm. it's 2019. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got community now. Yeah. 
And now you have friends, you've got mm-hmm. groups, you're doing things, and you forget mm-hmm. what it was like when you were here in 2015, mm-hmm. years prior, where you were in the wilderness, mm-hmm. the desert, mm-hmm. the loneliness, mm-hmm. and we're not constantly saying, oh, who who is like me several years ago? Right. Naturally, we tend to just kind of like, oh, I got, I got mine sure. now. Mm-hmm. So I'm good. Right. Instead of continually to keep in the mind of like, oh, there are new people who are searching for a place to belong, right. a place to be accepted. Right. Uh, because often we're, and I think you're right, we're always seems to be like, I want to be like, I want to be friends with that. I want to mm-hmm. be like that person. Mm-hmm. I want to, I'm always reaching for something. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. And we're never tuning around to see who's mm-hmm. who's trying to to like actually be friends with us, right? Be in community with us, yeah. Be connected to us. We're too busy trying to like tap the shoulder or grab mm-hmm. the the shirt or the jacket mm-hmm. of the person who we think is more ahead in life mm-hmm. or whatever community right. relationship right. than we are. When it's like this person is like hitting you up all the time and or trying to connect mm-hmm, to you and you're right. like ah yeah i don't wanna yeah you ah i don't know yeah right <laughs> I, and i think fundamentally it's kind of it starts with it's weird it, it yeah i think it starts with who you believe about who you are or who you believe you are and what i mean by that is it's very easy to have this scarcity mentality of God's withholding something from me. It goes back to the garden, you know, Satan saying lying and saying like, God didn't really say that, you know, and, and saying like, basically God's withholding something from you. And when we have that scarcity mentality, we assume that there's something that's out there that we're missing that we need to complete us. But I believe what the Bible teaches is that when we have God's spirit in us, we have something to give. We don't, it's, it's about the orientation, the way that we're, we're oriented towards the world are we going about the world looking to get something from this world or are we going about this world looking to give something to this world? And the only way that the way that that is determined is by what you believe that you carry. And if you believe that you carry the gospel and the love of Christ, you can, you cannot feel like you need to go through life compensating. And I feel like that's something that God's doing in this church is, is revealing to people who they really are in him, that they have something to give. Well, and, and here's the interesting thing about that too is, and it is what it is, is that that also the kind of giving and always trying to uh, take Mm -hmm. or get something out of versus like, I have much to give Mm -hmm. and I'm living this life of abundance. Mm -hmm. Is that that is why a lot of people end up leaving faith communities mm-hmm. and going into other communities. It's like these people are not trying to take, take, take. Mm-hmm. These people are trying to give and mm-hmm. be servants mm-hmm. and be um, compassionate and just throw things out there mm-hmm. for others to receive. Right. And what they what they're not seeing that, and what they're not getting that, is people in the church. Mm. And people in the church are the ones that are just like, take, 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 use, 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 mm. gimme, 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 
And it's like people are like, I'm exhausted and I'm done and sure. I'm out. Yeah. And my hope is, is that you're right, is that that is this new thing mm-hmm. that is being birthed out of these new churches or churches that have been around and saying, we need to change this thing around. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people have turned their backs and walked away mm-hmm. because it's like, I'm, I'm, no. Mm-hmm. I want people are people who are trying to like put, love and giving and servant mm-hmm. and and compassion right. and if anything we you see people in church and they're the opposite of that mm-hmm. which is which is really unfortunate right because i think you're exactly right that that should be what every church is like right mm-hmm. but it's not right i don't know if you want to say anything say yeah anything i that. think i think uh the the cool thing about the reason why I'm encouraged about that is this is something you can put in practice right where you are. Yeah. Any person, no matter where you are, no matter what group you're in, you can change your, your disposition, your orientation, if you will, towards being looking out and seeing what, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get to saying like, God, who can I serve? Who, who have you, who have you put in front of me to be a blessing to and how can I make their life better? How can I be Christ to them? And how can I make spaces where they they feel like family, like they feel uh, like they belong, that they're included? And and so, like, I'll, I'll share one last thing on this topic. Like, you know, when you're in the in the church world, and like somebody calls a meeting, and they're like, "Hey guys, we're coming to this meeting, and it's about such and such." And everyone on the team is like, eh, "I don't know if I really want to go." You know, and they say, "Oh, pastor such and such said, oh, okay, pastor such and such, they said it's important, okay, or pastor such and such is going to be there, oh, okay." Like all of a sudden, magically, all these people's schedule just fill. You know, like, oh, yeah, I just got oh, free yeah, that night. Yeah, I free that night. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of this thing where we recognize that that invitation came from the authority of someone higher and that that person who maybe might be lower down the totem pole who invited you carries the word and carries the authority of the person they represented. And I believe it's the same way when there's that scripture about, you know, when you, when you serve the the least of these, you're actually serving me. We're all made in the image of God. And when we have that mentality of man, everybody that's around me like is made in that image of God like we can, we, we're all on the same playing, playing field in that respect because when we serve those people around me, when we make space for people and, and include people, like that is something where that's a person made into the image of God. And to the degree that uh, a church culture, to the degree that a political system, to the degree that an economic system separates people as being intrinsically less or more valued than each other, that is anti-Christian. Yeah. And so, but everybody can start right where you're at. And now I will say as a caveat to that, not all ideas are equal. So it, there's some a diff- ideas are ratchet. Right. And so we, we and I'll tell you which ones though, <laughs> because I know more than you do because I'm better than you. <laughs> Wait, what was I saying? What was that? <laughs> so, so, you know, we don't want to slip into like cultural egalitarianism that like everything is fine. You know, every idea is equal. Cause that, that's not the case. However, every person in ontologically in terms of who they are created to be is of equal worth to God. Well, and, and we're all, we're all space travelers, right? We're all floating through space right now. Mm-hmm. People, back yeah. up. Yeah. 
as my as one of my favorite people says, zoom out. <laughs> we're literally on. We're floating through space. Right. Love each other. <laughs> I and he's going to wall somewhere. <laughs> oh man, you have? Do you have another one? Or or I I've got quotes for days. Yeah, quotes. Cool. So, okay, let's do let's do let's do one more, and then we'll we'll uh we'll start to. Okay, I'll, the plane. I'll I'll do I'll do one more that is semi related to the the one with the guy's name that I couldn't pronounce. Um, <laughs> and I have a confession. And uh oh, the confession this is, is good is that my life was changed by a meme that I saw someone post on social media. See, people memes can do good. Yeah, yeah, they can also bring harm. Right, but they can also do good. Yeah, and make you laugh a yeah. lot. Yeah, they can. And if you're old and listening, if you don't know what the meme is, don't worry. And by the way, it's not called a meme. It's not called a meme. It's just a meme. If you're so, if you're a certain age, and you don't know what a meme is. Like if you're like eighty, just Google Mimi. Just don't don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, you won't be here for much longer. Just like, imagine like a peanuts, like peanuts, <laughs> or like a family circus cartoon, but like totally different. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So the the meme that I saw, I love that this is a meme. That this is a meme. Yeah. Somehow we're gonna we're gonna post this meme yeah. on the social media. So. And this is what it said. It said, you are not part of society. You are society. You are not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. Yes. What's the picture? I think the picture was somebody like stuck in their car being like giving somebody the finger or something like that. <laughs> Can't wait to post that. <laughs> so, You're right. Your jokes are either... <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I was very upfront about this. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay, do you remember when you saw that meme probably, for the first time? Probably two years ago or something like that. Do you remember, like, what was, like, when you first saw it and you were like, oh, shoot. It like was kind that. of one of those aha moments where uh-huh. it was like, you kind of, it's what, what they call the butterfly effect where, you know, one butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world and that changes this, that changes that. And I think Mark Twain has a, a, a quote, I'm pretty sure it's him that he says, if, when you tug at one thing in nature, it's infinitely connected to the rest of nature, things like that. And not to get into like anything like remotely close to pantheism or anything like that. But the point is, Oh no, you're totally there. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the point is that, you know, we are part of systems yes. and we are not isolated, disembodied, people that live in a vacuum that's right and there's something that i call the diffusion of responsibility that's happened with the complexity of the modern world where because there's so many moving parts and because we own only a fractional portion of the responsibility for x y and z happening it's so small that we think that it's not even our responsibility the problem is when everyone adopts that mentality the people that are actually pulling the strings and into those position of power are not held in check and injustice can prevail. And so as an example for that, I'll nerd out here. This is where you'll see my finance side. I won't, <laughs> I won't go too deep in the rabbit hole. I'm going to stop myself. I'll restrain myself. Okay. Okay. Give me a little, okay. me a little slack. All right. In the early 1800s in England, there, the concept of owning a company was like this. I'm a shareholder in a company. What that means is, I own whatever shipping company or whatever, I don't know, whatever company. 
I also bear the liability mm-hmm. if that company goes under or if that company does something wrong, I'm responsible for it because right. I'm an owner in that company. That just seems like common sense. What happened through, as the 1800s went on is you had people that had a lot of money that said, man, I'd really love to leverage my time a little bit more. And what got created is a separate cast of investors called shareholders that um, that eventually got something called limited liability where they said, man, these people are leveraging th- themselves so much and investing in all these different companies it's good for the economy because we get more capital to work with, but they can't possibly be held responsible for all these different investments that they're making because they don't have time to check in on the morals of all these companies. Mm. So what we have today in our in our stock market is this limited liability where you and I could own a thousand stocks in a 401k or in an IRA, and those companies could be making money off human trafficking, off right. of abortion, off of you know whatever. <laughs> you know, we would have no way of knowing. And if everybody has that adopts that same stance, the the people that are making money in those ways have zero reason to stop making money the way because we are actually being uh, giving them our tacit consent to to what they're doing. And that's just an example. There are many examples throughout society where because it's it's we're it's this diffusion of responsibility. There's wow. so many moving parts, globally distributed economic systems. Um that we just say, hey, I'm just going to be, I'm going to pretend like I'm in my own little lane. I'm just going to, you know, and it gets into like the environment, all these different things where we don't take that responsibility because it's kind of overwhelming. But at the same time, it's got to start somewhere. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's a <clears throat> a great reminder is that, you know, like we are, we are it. We are the, right. the right. it's us. Yeah. So whether it's in church, whether it's in your neighborhood, yeah. whether it's in your whatever, like you, enough of yous right. can actually like turn a thing around. Yeah. You can like, you can fix it. Yeah. Absolutely. You say the system is broken. Yeah. Who created the system? We did. Right. Well, not maybe like you individual, but mm-hmm. we created yeah. the system. Right. So we, if they're bad, we can break them. Yeah. But we have to stop just continue to keep the current yeah. system going. Yep. And acknowledge responsibility. And also say we're responsible. Maybe not me, but maybe someone back there, but we are they. Right. Well, there's a difference between blame and responsibility. Right. Like I might Stop not be blaming. To, I might not be to blame for why this system was in place, right. but I can still take responsibility That's moving right. forward. Yeah. And I can fix it. Yeah. So stop doing stupid stuff. World. All right. Let's let's do a quick speed round. Okay. Just because I want to do a speaker. Sure. I want to throw a couple questions sure. out at you. Yeah. So you mentioned karaoke. Mm-hmm. What's your go-to karaoke song? Honestly, this is a secret. I don't like to sing. Excuse me? I don't like to sing. Don't make me sing. I, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I don't like to sing. I don't enjoy it. You don't enjoy it? No. I, I when love... you do karaoke, when what song do you choose? I try to avoid it. If I gave you enough... Tequila. I don't know what your drink is. <laughs> what's the What's the song you? All right, I'll do it. What's the song you pick? I might do something like. I I, I don't even know. Maybe um, I'd probably do a John Mayer song. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome for that. <laughs> I know. Wait, 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 wait. Now you can see why I try to wait. avoid it. 
Pat, Patrick's like just fell off his chair. Um, we Wait, might need to get so the paramedics in here. What John Mayer song? Howdy is Wonderland? Like, what's the. What's your. Eyes of Wonderland. <laughs> what are Why are you singing slurred? Because you've had a lot of tequila at this point. I, I, I am very moderate with my, my substances. Um, oh, you put all of them on the table. That's okay. Uh, I, <laughs> you can only drink so much water. People have died from drinking too much water. So wait, what, so what John Mayer song is it going to be? You can't just say all. Why, why Georgia? I don't know. Maybe an old school one. Some, okay. Something off Room for Squares. So why Georgia? Okay. That was. I'm really sorry that good. disappointed you no, so much. No, that's amazing. I feel that was a like, great answer. I just flopped this whole podcast just because of that answer. Just okay, kidding. another one. Uh, what's one book or one or two books that everyone should read? You can't say the Bible. Okay. Um, Culture making. Andy Crouch. Okay. Essentialism. Greg McCown. Tribal leadership by a bunch of people. United by Faith. It's uh, it's the book that I got the quote from George Wepper about multicultural churches. Um, I mean, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a pretty interesting one. Um, That's more than one book. Okay, Patrick. <laughs> I repent. Without thinking too much about it, what are three or four bands that have shaped your perspective outlook music that's the most patrick question of the interview it is do i get like bonus points if i say weezer absolutely (laughs) (laughs) i don't want your bonus points (laughs) keep your bonus points um bands slash artists yes yes i mean honestly john mayer's up there for me i would say Man. So uh, I have a two and a half year old daughter and a a one year old daughter. Yeah. And it would be very embarrassing to look back at my recent plays on Spotify because most of them are involuntary. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to do that right now. And no, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. John Mayer, who else? Okay, John Mayer. Um,. These, these are the bands that shaped you. Right. Jesus Culture was a big one. The uh, the We Cry Out album, that was big for me. I would say this, uh, man, this shows how like kind of out of um, out of the loop I am. I, I grew up in like Tower Power, Steely Dan. You know, my dad's a jazz pianist. A lot of that sort of stuff has been really influential to me. Um, I mean, I, I listen to a lot, as you do as well. And so that question is tough for me because I almost like, it would be easier for me to, if you said, give me the top three bands in every genre that have influenced you. I'd probably like come up with a quicker response in, in that. Sure. Um, but yeah, love, um, love like a, kind of a mix. I, I was in a Celtic band for seven years. Excuse me? I was in a Celtic band for seven years. We wore costumes. <laughs> Like if we if we were like if we were like in Virginia like a year ago we probably would have gotten like attacked by people from Berkeley because of the outfits we were wearing. Um, wow. <laughs> well. Um, yeah. So yeah, Celtic Celtic music. Um, I'm a little influ- Israel Houghton is a big influence. Okay. Kind of the multicultural sort of um, worship stuff. Um, it's good. Yeah. Okay. 
Rami, thank you. You're welcome, Patrick. This has been good. This has been great. Thanks for, thanks for coming. My pleasure. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>